Right back now, baby. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 284 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jerome Hardaway. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Jason Sweat. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm working on next year's conference schedule, so go check it out at devchat.tv slash conferences. Our special guests this week are Justin Gordon. Aloha from Maui. And Rob Wise. Hi, how you doing? Do you gentlemen want to introduce yourselves really quickly? Sure. Justin Gordon. I'm founder CEO of a small consulting company called Shockey Code. We've produced some, I'd like to say, some pretty darn useful open source recently. The most useful of which is certainly React on Rails, but we've also done some stuff in the Webpack community as well, such as the number one loader for integration of Twitter Bootstrap with Webpack. So we, um, we're we a 100% remote-based team. We don't, we don't mix remote and in the office. We want to be all remote. The other thing that's probably pretty interesting is that we also, not only do we do consulting, but we also have our own product called friendsandguests.com that's coming out. Anything else you'd like to know, Chuck? Uh, that sounds really interesting, actually. Uh, friends and guests, what's that? Friends and guests, we're building a new type of vacation rental listing website. It's a site that's going to be totally different than the other ones, which are marketplace-based, where the goal of a marketplace, like say you're on eBay, is you can't know who the seller is until you actually pay the money. And that's the way Airbnb's been like that for a long time. And recently, VRBO is moving in that direction as well. And those companies, they can earn quite a bit more money by charging a percentage of the deal rather than just charging a subscription fee for advertising. So we're totally turning that model um, upside down where we're all about providing a clear and transparent marketplace for hosting guests so they can interact together. We're going to be a freemium service with great a great free level of service and we'll provide some useful conveniences for a low monthly fee. Gotcha. Why don't we have Rob introduce himself real quick too and then we'll dive in here. Sure. So um, uh, I live currently live in Maryland. I started out kind of in the finance realm of things and learned that I, um, the things I liked most about my job were working with computers. I've always had a love with computers. So I, uh, kind of did a career shift, got a master's in information systems and, um, started working at Shaka Code about a year ago. And I'm really into doing Rails. I'm really into doing React. And, um, I kind of like the, um, and, and kind of working with how the two come together. Uh, which is actually how I found Chaka Code in the first place. I found their open source uh, project, started doing some work with them, and then I uh, actually came on board full time. So that's what I do now. I work both on that Friends and Guests app, and I also do some consulting uh, with clients both on React and Rails. Nice. Chuck, Chuck, I'd like to add that we have found, I believe, pretty much the entire team by, my, by the open source of Chaka Code, and we don't do those conventional job interviews where you have to reverse a linked list in 10 different ways with a timer running at the same. <laughs> on a whiteboard. So, on a whiteboard with a timer <laughs> in five different languages with some crazy situation. Now, we've done pretty much all of our job interviews have just been, um, let's get together on Slack and GitHub. Let's work on some community-based stuff. And if we like to work together, we're going to make it a full-time gig. And it's been absolutely awesome doing that for us. That sounds really awesome. So it, those open source projects, are those uh, React on Rails or is that other stuff as well? That's the flag. React on Rails is the flagship product. Um, before that, the React Webpack Rails tutorial came out. 
that was based on blogging that I did. So it's like people want to know how to get involved in all this stuff. I, I kind of owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Coding Horror, Jeff Atwood. I read his book a long time ago that said, if you're a good developer, you must develop a blog. And eventually from blog came in, um, eventually that led to doing some open source. So Rob, Rob's really an exceptional guy because he actually, he really dug into working on the open source with me. So he did, he did quite a bit of the React on Rails, so that's why I had to get him invited. Nice. Was somebody trying to talk when I talked? Yeah, that was me. I was just saying that, you know, that sounds like uh, an amazing way to actually cultivate and find talent for your company. Uh, I see, I usually go on like three interviews a month for our nonprofit just to see what's out there in the field. And frankly, the interview process is horrible. It makes you just want to like dig your eyeballs out. So <laughs> you got a cool job, but you um, they didn't make you do something horrible. Like they made you build something that you actually already enjoyed versus build something that there's no need just to see if you can do it and waste your time. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty cool. So. Yeah, especially if it's something that you really care about, right? Yes. So what, one of the things I like to think, uh, Chuck, is that um, when, when we hire people that get involved with React on Rails, first of all, they must have good taste because they're looking at React on Rails, meaning that they like Ruby on Rails and they like React. And the second thing is, is that there are no dummies because if you can understand Ruby on Rails well and you can understand the front end development well and how it all fits together using Webpack, you definitely got your, you got some, you know, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not a novice. Every once in a while I get some, not, you know, I get beginners come in and they say, Hey, I want to get involved in stuff. And like, Hey, let me try to give you some, maybe some issues to get involved. Some things are kind of easy. And every once in a while, somebody is actually truly motivated and I'll, you know, help them out. And, you know, the team will help them out and they'll get to where they want to go. But, you know, those kind of people that have that sort of true motivation and love are pretty far and few between. But when, when they do work out, we do hire them. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about this good taste that you're, uh, you're discussing here. I mean, a lot of people that listen to this show would agree with you to the extent that Rails constitutes good taste, or at least, you know, some Ruby <laughs> framework, you know, be it Sinatra or Rhoda or something else. Um, but React, I mean, I, I'm just learning React right now. In fact, I've been watching the um, Brian, what's his name, Brian Holt? From Netflix, he has a front end master's course that I've been watching. And I definitely see some of the appeal. But for Rails developers, why React? Why not Angular or Ember or something like that? Because, I mean, Ember is structured a lot like Rails, so it seems like it'd be easier to pick up. Yeah, I looked at, um, so I recently in the last couple of days, I just published a blog article on, you know, where we stand with React on Rails. Wanted to kind of take a look back. We've just hit, We've actually um, sailed past 2,000 stars, so I'm pretty stoked on that. And woohoo, um, woo 2,000 stars! You know, <laughs> that's actually um, for people that are involved in, say, Ruby open source. It's actually it's no small feat to get to that. Would you say so, Chuck? I I don't pay much attention to the stars, so I don't know. I'm assuming that yeah, it takes some doing to get to five star or five stars <laughs> to two thousand stars. Sorry. Anyway, um, you know the history goes. So I wrote an article, and the history goes is that I wanted to find I needed to find a front end framework. Um, you know, I'd done the CoffeeScript with the jQuery stuff. 
I was given a task to build a dashboard where you got different knobs and dials and you're going to control a bunch of graphs and tables. It's very obviously something that would be dynamic. It wouldn't be any pages going back and forth to a rail server. So, well, what am I going to look at? Going to look at Ember was my first choice. Kind of looking at that, I was like, wow, it's kind of like, you know, it would t- kind of take over the whole app. And there was already a Rails app there. So that didn't seem that really good of a choice. The next thing I looked into was React and watched some videos on that. As soon as I put, as soon as I watched those videos on React, it just clicked that I go, boom, this is the right stuff. And that's like, you, you just kind of like, it was almost like when I first started using Rails. I just started using Rails and go, wow, this stuff actually is built the way like I want it to work. I did look at Angular for a little bit and just made it just a little bit along the way of the Angular path and go, ah, forget this one. So that Why was... Why did React click for you? What? Why did Why? React click for you? Why did React click for me? It's really long time ago since I got into that. And now it's almost like it's like so obvious. It's like you're, you're being asked a question like, you know, like, well, why, why Rails? There's so many parts of it that just are just, you know, absolutely clear. So why, why you would, you know, why you would do that? You know, probably, you know, I'd say that probably the most important thing for me was just conceptually, just how you actually could go about and looking at a, a React program. And it's the very, you know, we talked about this as this unidirectional data flow where we have a model of the data. You represent, a, say, some JSON or a Ruby hash, et cetera. And then you have some code that will render it. And this, um, the code that renders it, you break it up into components or composed of other components. And you know exactly the flow of the data and what is being drawn on the screen. You're not worried about any asynchronous actions at all. So you don't get this whole like, you know, what's happening in the DOM. It's like, okay, well, you know, this event happened, this thing was updated in the DOM, then this event and this event and whatever. No, you just know here's the data, this is how it draws. And then you also know how to set up an event handler, and then from that event handler, you're gonna run some code and you're gonna update the state of the world. That's pretty much it. And so that There's was something like, you said that interested yep. me. And I'm coming from like no familiarity with React yep. at all. Yeah. Um, you said you don't have to worry about async stuff or something like that. Can yeah. you explain that a little more? I'm curious about that part. Yeah. So, well, React, for one thing, what, one of the huge advantages of it these days, and it was even a few years ago, is a great ecosystem of libraries. Pretty much the community settled on something called Redux, which manages your state. And so what happens is, is that we have this one, um, this one concept, which is Redux, which is a state that is there. And then the only way the state can get modified is that there'll be some sort of, um, you basically create a function that will modify the state and give you a new state. And this function will, the way you typically set this up with Redux is you'll get some event has happened and you write some code and you modify the state. And there's ways that you can set this up so that say you have, um, you know, when we have, um, when we're designing a UI, you've got the issue that you've got both user inputs happening and you've got asynchronous calls you made out to a remote server. And you want to make sure everything is all synced up and correct. If you only had user inputs, that's kind of easy to handle. It's not that big of a deal. But as soon as you introduce having the asynchronous um, Ajax type stuff coming in and you can have multiple Ajax responses and you also have user input all at the same time, what the heck are you going to be doing? And the way that we set set stuff up with Redux and React it's completely clear that when you get one of these events, it doesn't matter 
if it was from the AJAX request or it was from user or user input, you get some event and you modify some data in your Redux store. When the data is modified, Redux, um, React will be lit, the React components are bound to the Redux store and they will redraw appropriately. And then you know exactly where you're going to be going into your um, React code, into a render method. There's actually some other lifecycle events that will happen, like before the data is changed, after it's changed, et cetera. And you can you just know exactly what is happening in the code. Right? You, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. add to that. Yeah, so for me, you know, I, I've played around with Angular as well. This was Angular 1. Um, you know, there's like a lot of stuff, there's like a lot of, uh, setup that you had to do. There's, there's like the control, you know, there's like, there's basically like controllers, but they're on the front end. And then also, um, you can also in your view code, you can then go make calls back and it's, it's kind of like, you can change it from here or you can change it from there. And it's kind of going both ways. And I mean, I think it's cool. I, I'm not going to say, you know, there, there are plenty of people who code in Angular and I'm not going to say one is objectively better than the other. Um, personal, for my personal preference, I like React a lot better. We also mentioned Ember. Um, from my under, I haven't done that much Ember, but from my understanding is, is it's, it kind of, like Justin said, it kind of like takes over your front end. Like, mm -hmm. um, but React is kind of more opt in. It's, it's just, it's just the view only, especially if you're not talking about this thing, Redux, which is kind of doing the model and controller part, if you will. Well, Rob, what you just said. What you just said is an interesting point, and it ties into something I was going to ask. Um, like, say that I'm sold on React, and I'm like, okay, I want to try it on an application. Um, my familiarity is with Angular, and, and what I always tell people is like, you don't don't like pick Angular and Rails as like your default stack for a hundred percent of your projects because it doesn't always make sense, and it can add a bunch of overhead and complexity to your application that doesn't really add any value for users. So if you just have like a super basic CRUD app, um, like don't put all that stuff on it because you don't really need it. But if you're developing an application that's more like an actual uh, web application with deep functionality, then something like Angular could make a lot of sense. And the way that I've been structuring my applications is like a client server architecture where the JavaScript is totally separate from the API. And so if you do it that way, you're really invested in the front end framework that you're using. And, and like you said, it takes over your app, which is sometimes fine. Um, but what you said about React is like it's kind of opt-in. So I'm, I'm getting the impression that if I choose to use React on a Rails app, I'm not going to be kind of held hostage by the fact that that I'm using it. I don't have to use it everywhere. I can use it in the parts of my application where it makes sense to use it, and in the other parts where it's not going to add any value, I don't have to. Is that kind not, of the right idea? Yeah. Not only is it parts of the application, it can be parts of the page. So, for example, we've got an account page for our internal app, and most of that stuff, I don't need the interactivity, and like you said, it's overhead. I mean, nothing's as simple as Rails, man. I mean, it's just still going to be the fastest. But if you need that extra interactivity, like for say, um, you're trying to change your password and you want to make sure it meets certain validations and you don't want to send out the request and then wait for it to come back and then have simple form render the thing, you want to head those off before the client even hits submit just because it's a better UX. So I just need this password component, this change password component to have this interactivity. So I code that up in React and I put it inside of a bootstrap panel 
and then everything else on the page is still in Rails. So now it's only not only am I just doing it for that one part. It's not a whole single. I don't need a whole single page application. It's I don't even need it for the whole page. I can just do it for parts of a page. Because what React does at the end of the day, it takes your kind of higher level language called JSX, which allows you to write tags um, that are not HTML tags. You can name them whatever you want, like change password component. And then React, then you, you encapsulate all of the, the, the logic that you, and the interactivity logic that you want inside this change password component. And then you just render that change password component inside the bootstrap panel in your normal Rails ERB view. And then there it goes. And then, you know, if you're using a gem like React on Rails, it takes over and it just, it, it converts basically that React component at the end of the day under the hood. It, it, it all translates back to regular HTML tags, divs and inputs and stuff like that with event handlers. And it kind of is, so you, yeah. You, you mentioned JSX and I was watching some of Justin's videos earlier and I saw some of the JSX stuff. Um, where in the code base exactly does the JSX stuff go when well, you're using when you're using your React Rails gem? Where, where do you put the JSX stuff? In well, so case? for React and Rails, and this is one of the selling points. React and Rails heavily, we're, we're assuming you're using uh, something called Webpack, which is kind of like a build tool. So, and it's very popular on the front end, especially basically if you're doing React, you're using Webpack, and um, it's kind of what people, it's kind of become the norm for front end devs. And, um, this handles all sorts of build tasks, kind of the way like Rails Assets Pipeline does. It makes, you know, it worries about, um, getting your styles compiled. It can, it can uglify your code. Um, it can change your code from the newest, latest, greatest JavaScript standards, you know, ES6 and beyond back to ES5 for browsers that can't support it, stuff like that. So you write your code inside of a client folder, and to a normal JavaScript front-end developer who knows nothing about Rails, they can be inside that client folder, and it's exactly what they're used to. And if you were to go translate to some node-only app that's using React, it's exactly what you're used to. It's the same thing. And then just at the end, when you output your final dist files, your compiled output, it goes into the Rails assets folder, and the React and Rails gems picks it up and puts it into your views. If you want to think of it like that. Okay. Yeah. And does that happen only in production that it goes into the assets, or does that happen in dev too? Well, it depends on how you set it up. So you could set it up in dev to do like that. On our internal project, we have an even more advanced setup, which is we run what's called hot module reloading. So this is really cool. It, it, it allows you to change, if I just change one module, It'll, it'll switch that module out on the fly. And so, for example, if I've got a modal open and I'm trying to style some text inside the modal, instead of maybe you've heard of like the live reload where it'll reload the whole page, this hot module reloading will actually just reload that style. So I don't even have to go back to the page and reload the page and open the modal again. Yeah. The modal will stay open and I can see it changing. Yeah. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that's possible with React and Rails. It's very... You're, the alternative would be like Facebook's React Rails, and they're going in, they're changing a lot of stuff about how the access pipeline works. React on Rails is very lightweight in that sense. We're not really changing much about how, what Rails is doing, and it allows you to stay in that framework that the front-end guys are really used to. It. You get to use all the latest and greatest tools, uh, most important of which is, in my opinion, um, the node package manager system, although there's yarn, but you could use yarn now too, which is the Facebook. It's kind of like, um, Ruby gems basically, but for node packages. 
So you can use that. So you can manage your dependencies with that instead of having to manually copy down, you know, zip file, zip folders of whatever libraries you want to use. Okay, I want to yeah, poke like this the, one in the eye. Oh, go ahead. I want to, um, a few things. I want to just um, take take a few steps back um, to kind of, for, first of all, Rob, don't, um, you, you, you mentioned stuff that we're doing in our own app. We, we've got a lot of those techniques are in the React-Webpack-Rails tutorial. That's like the mid-level example of seeing how this stuff works. It's got the hot module reloading. It's a playground that we use to demonstrate what React on Rails is like in a real system. The very most basic thing of React on Rails is to just run the generator, and I just published a couple videos on doing that. I think some of you guys here on the panel watch those. Yeah, they were really those? good. Yeah, and that gets you the that gets you the basic setup. One of the things I really want to emphasize is that React on Rails, that React on Rails, what makes it so um, I believe what makes it so amazing is that you can just plug it into any literally any Rails app right now, and that's running say jQuery and a whole bunch of other stuff like that, and it's just you can choose it just for one page. And boom, I've got React on Rails. I can set up my React component there. And the way it works is with a registration system, your Rails page just has to know the name of the component. And you could literally pass it some data from your controller. And then boom, you've got React inside your app. So totally different than using, say, like Ember, you know, a system like that. I don't, you know, I think that Jerome's system probably of setting up Angular as a whole single page app, that's quite a bit more work to set this up. You could literally run the generator and get React on Rails running in really any app pretty much within minutes. So I really want to hit this because uh, sure. Rob mentioned Webpack. And I'm sure that there are a few people in there going, Webpack not Webby, right? <laughs> Webpack's not part of Rails. So nope. uh, you, know, you mentioned that you can pull stuff in with the RPM. <clears throat> Uh, but I'm wondering, NPM. or NPM, NPM, not RPM. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't even know why I said our, anyway. So uh, you can pull stuff in with NPM and you get all this awesome stuff. Tools, you can get libraries, you can get all of this stuff. But why not just go with the asset pipeline? I know you've explained this in your videos and stuff, but I'm hoping you can just hit this for a minute because uh, yeah. I think it's important. Up. Yeah. The, um, so let me give you a little, little history. It's really important because everybody listening to this podcast needs to know there's two main ways to integrate React with the Ruby on Rails app. One is the um, repo React.js slash React-Rails. It's part of the original React.js. Like it's part of React.js, so it's sort of official. They came out with this two years before we came out with, um, I came out, we came out with ours. And that heavily integrates with the asset pipeline. And what that means is that you've got to use the asset pipeline for getting your JavaScript um, in there and your libraries and all this stuff. So you're depending on someone taking JavaScript and actually putting it into the whole Ruby on Rails way of handling JavaScript, which I tried to do that at first. Like I, I got set up by the first tutorial I wrote on this and on my React, React um, on Rails blog was how to use React, React, the React Rails Jam. Cool, got this thing set up, you know, very nice. Next thing I wanted to do was I wanted to add the React Bootstrap um, library. Oh, it's published on NPM. Oh, well, where's the Ruby Jam? There is no Ruby Jam. Hmm, what am I gonna do? No, I, then I start going down the rabbit hole of 
there is absolutely no way I'm copying and pasting all these files into my Rails project. You know, I've, I've been doing that for a long time. It's like, imagine you had to copy and paste all your um, Ruby files into your Rails project and you didn't have Ruby gems. Well, that's what it's like not to use NPM. It made no sense at all. Next thing I got recommended by some Facebook people, hey, check out Webpack, started going down that. And that was how a long time back I wrote a um, couple of years ago, I wrote an article on how to set this all up. It was, a, however, the setup was a bit of work. You had to copy this, copy that, et cetera. And if you go back and look in the history of the React Webpack Rails tutorial, that's what it was at first, was a template for how to set this up. And then we got to this issue was, well, how would if you want to do server rendering? The React Rails gem can do that. I go, but the React Rails gem has to go through the ACID pipeline. And I don't want to do that. And so I finally bit the bullet and took a look at how React Rails was doing it. And I leveraged the techniques that they had in there, and we put it into the React on Rails gem. And the you know the rest is history. A year year later, we've got many many production apps running on it, and um, quite quite a vibrant community. I've also hey, Rob, run into, yeah, into the issue copying and pasting, like you said, where essentially I pull in you know jQuery and jQuery UI and something else. And then it turns out that one of the jQuery plugins I pulled in just isn't compatible with the uh, the version of jQuery that I've pulled in or jQuery UI. And so I've got to go back and figure out all that um, dependency crap. And the nice thing about using NPM is the same thing that's nice about using Bundler. I just tell it, okay, I've got these dependencies, and it'll figure most of that stuff out for me. Yeah, you know, it's really... It, sorry, I was just going to say it's really yeah. insane how long most Rails developers, including myself, have gone not using NPM for JavaScript libraries. Because it's it's really just crazy to manually handle all that stuff. There's so much, yeah, there's so much great stuff out there in terms of these libraries out there. And to like to try to manually keep those up to date, because also the thing about the JavaScript community that is coming from the Rails, I did Rails first, Coming from Rails and then going to the JavaScript community, the turnover and the rate of churn with these libraries is unbelievable. I mean, they're just changing so fast. And, and they also like to make them very modular. So, like, that's kind of the trend right now. So, you know, in order to get something working, you got to download four different packages because they all kind of work together and they want them to be able to be switched out if you want to do something weird. So um, to try to keep those up to date, uh, would be just a DevOps nightmare. I mean, you'd have to do it every day for 20 yeah. minutes, you know? There's, um, there's, there's, Chuck, there's a couple other really big reasons. I mean, we, like, the most obvious one is using NPM for all your um, JavaScript code. The next thing is the tooling. So the really, the really key difference is, is that React on Rails, we throw, you're in JavaScript land when you're in the slash client folder of the top level of your project. So it's sort of like Rails, that you go into a React on Rails project, you know where everything is. And everything that's JavaScript-based is under slash clients, where you set your Webpack configurations, and we have sort of a preferred directory structure. And even in the, the React community, people have sort of come to a few different arrangements for how to organize the files. So the really huge thing is, is then not only you get the, um, the libraries, but it's the tooling. The number one thing, the number one piece of tooling that um, hit me early on was that not only did I want to use NPM packages, I wanted to do ES6. I got I got convinced early on of moving over from CoffeeScript to um, to ES6 when I was following what was going on with the Discourse project and saw 
long post by Yehuda that be, that convinced the um, the guys running Discourse to switch over. And I go, you know what, makes sense. So I switched over. So that was one of the main reasons was the integration with what became as known as Babel for doing that. The next part is we do something called C. We use some a feature of Webpack called CSS modules, and that allows us to put our CSS right next to our JavaScript files in these really small little chunks of CSS. It's unbelievable how much more productive that is. That's not like a basic sort of setup, but it's something that you can look in the React-Webpack Rails tutorial, see how that's done. There's even other stuff that I'm not even gonna mention that is more advanced Webpack type things that we're doing to optimize the loading of the apps. There's a React router library that also kind of like works in with this, which is like, kind of, that's essentially how stuff that's happening in your URL affects your JavaScript app and without requests actually going to the server. There's so much more to this that by using the React on Rails gem is that you realize that, okay, great, I'm going to be in JavaScript land. I'm going to do JavaScript stuff the way all the other JavaScript people do. And really, there's a very, very clear and small little bit of integration that connects you into your Rails app. You put this little tag on your Rails page, and oh my God, I can even server render my JavaScript code. It just works. Not only does it just work to put a component there on the page, you can have five of these React components all talking to the same Redux store. The amazing thing about that is we're doing the headers of our app in React so they can have interactive functionality like a counter for how many notifications you've got. So we're not doing the header with Haml, we're doing it with React. The reason why is we have a header component in React and then we have a body component, which is either gonna be plain old Rails or it's gonna be a React component and they talk together through our shared Redux store. And that just works right out of the box with React on Rails. And so that gives you the best of both worlds to mix and match or what technology is gonna give you the most bang for the buck. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity upfront. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Podcast. So I, I can still hear some people saying, well, it feels like I'm managing two systems. You know, you have the, the React system and the Rails system, and you're, you know, I can't even just bundle install and get the one for the other. Is is React on Rails pretty much automatic? You just gem, you just put in your gem file, and it mostly just works, or is there more to it than that? I'll let Rob talk about that one. Yeah, so so um, we have done a couple, you know, we're trying to keep the, the surface area of the API and the number of things we're manipulating down to a minimum, which is kind of, I think, the main benefit that Justin was talking about. One of the things we are doing is um, we're changing, you know, the assets pre-compile rake tasks so that um, we're ensuring that your Webpack output files have been created so that you're not trying to run the app without anything actually being compiled and output there. So, but basically, yes, it does add a step. You have to bundle install 
but you also have to install your node packages. And then you also have to run Webpack once and output those files. So now you need to make sure that you're doing that. Um, we have helpers for doing that. For example, um, one of the things I early on that I kept running into is I kept trying to run my JavaScript integration tests with, um, cause I'm using Capybara uh, with j- the JavaScript web driver to test my React components, which is really nice, by the way. Um, and, um, when I was doing that, I kept forgetting I'd make changes in the JavaScript code and then I'd run the test and it would still fail and I couldn't figure out why it was happening. And every time it was because I forgot to recompile the bundle. I forgot to recompile the JavaScript again. Um, so we actually made that kind of spawn. Uh, I talked with Justin. We decided to make this uh, asset, uh, you know, this um, test helper that ensures that it actually just looks at the, the update to the end time of all the files in your, that have been outputted and makes sure they're newer than what you, what you, the files that are in your client folder. If they're not, that means you changed something and forgot to output again. And so your test when you're running RSpec will actually automatically recompile your webpack output. So, you know, we've, we've included helpers to try and um, make, it, make it more idiot-proof so that you don't forget. But yeah, there, the, there is that extra step. Now you've got to compile your webpack uh, stuff out into the Rails assets folder uh, before your app is ready to go. And all that stuff is pretty much is really easily explained, understood. There's examples of that. And where possible, we've added bits of Rails code, bits of JavaScript code to make it easy. And that's the philosophy of what React on Rails is, is to take this idea of putting JavaScript in your slash client directory and make it work seamlessly with Rails, in, you know, given our preferences for how to do this. So it is definitely sort of opinionated, but our, you know, our version of opinionated is work really well with the React and Redux communities. So there's just been thousands of man hours just put into polishing all these little things. So by getting on, you know, getting on board our community, you're able to leverage that. Yeah. By the way, the, the React Rails Webpack tutorial that Justin mentioned, that, that has a live version that's running on Heroku. So this stuff is, if you're worried about, oh, how am I going to make that work with my build tools, it's very simple. Yeah. And just go just re- look at the... Re- just go reactrails.com, R-E-A-C-T-R-A-I-L-S.com. And that's got links right to the repos and so much more. Yeah, we're demonstrating lots of techniques there too. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys want to talk about server rendering or not. But I think that's one of the really cool things um, that React on, you know, about using React with with the Rails stuff is that yeah. it's not just a single page application that talks to some API. There, the, you can, if you want them to be more of a kind of a unified thing than that, you can do that, and we do do that. And that's what React on Rails does is you don't, you're not just sending. Uh, a bunch of JavaScript to the client browser, and then once the browser loads it, realizes, well, now I got to go ask back for all the data I'm supposed to need and show a spinner for for 10 seconds while they're loading the initial app. That doesn't happen because you can have your you've got the code on Rails, you've got the JavaScript code on Rails, and you can preload everything with the data it needs to get started and to be hydrated at first, um, which is the term they use called hydrating. And so you actually send the, the already hydrated JavaScript code. So it just starts up immediately when you load the page, just like, you know, what if you were using jQuery or something like that? And then if you decide that, um, you, you need the interactivity, but you'd really like the search engine optimization because most web crawlers either don't or don't parse, 
either don't parse JavaScript or don't parse it very well. Um, I think Google's like the only ones that have crawlers that parse JavaScript. Um, if you still want the search engine optimization, you can turn on a special feature called server rendering, which is where kind of um, you use either like exec.js or um, uh, you can have your own node server. Something evaluates the JavaScript code while it's still on the server side and turns it into HTML. And then that's what you send to the client. So everything's already rendered by the time in HTML, by the time it gets to client to the client. And then the JavaScript picks up from there and listens for changes and interactions accordingly. But that kind of first render happens on the server. And so when the, when the crawler from a search engine goes and hits that site, they see all the normal HTML that it knows how to parse. Even though it can't no, interact with the JavaScript, it doesn't need to because that first render from the JavaScript has already been done for the system for it but on the server. Now, do you have to I have, have a question running about that. to do that? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's important to note, by the way, it's, that's a feature of React. I don't know if Angular might support that. They might not. But it's a feature of React that when you set up your React components, they can be server rendered and everything just works like magic. Yeah, Angular has something similar. I think it's called Angular Universal. I haven't messed with it yet. But um, the thing I always wonder about that is, let's say I have an application with a lot of JavaScript and it takes one second to load. We don't want to make the user wait one second. And so we render that, that server-side rendered JavaScript so it loads immediately. But what if in that one second period, between the time that the server-rendered stuff loads and the JavaScript stuff gets done downloading and all that, what if they invoke an event, an event on the page or something like that in that gap between the time when it loads and, and the JavaScript's actually ready? Hopefully that question makes sense. The only time I've ever run into that is... Um, I don't even know if people are aware of this, but I wasn't aware of it at first, but there's an actually an onload event that gets fired for, for image tags. Um, and we were server rendering. And then if, if you, so the image tag was getting loaded on the page. And then if you had visited that page before that image was cached in your system. So it didn't it happened kind of instantly. And, um, we get the HTML with the image tag with the source in it. And so the browsers immediately start par parsing the image tag and it would parse it and realize it had the cached version and load the image before React could initialize, and then you'd miss the onload event handler. That's the only time I've ever run into that issue with server rendering. Um, otherwise, it usually just happens too fast. I, I don't, I, it, you know, it, it is a concern, but I haven't, that's the only time I've ever run into that problem. Got it. Yeah, I always wondered, like, is that an issue? If so, how do you deal with it? But it sounds like it's just, it happens fast enough that it's, not an issue in practice. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's the, Under the hood, it's still the same thing. They're using JavaScript to put event handlers on stuff. It's just a nicer language for doing it. And it's, it's a much more organized way to do it. But at the end of the day, when you compile these output stuff, it's all just normal JavaScript. It's not JSX anymore. That was like a, a pre-compiled, that was a language that was, a, you know, pre-JavaScript. And then it gets converted into normal JavaScript. And it's just HTML with on-click handlers and on-change handlers and stuff like that. And it's React that's taking care of that for you. But you'd have the same problem if you try to initialize something with uh, where jQuery is going in and adding an event handler with jQuery. Um, and what happens if you click on that before the jQuery is that time to initialize or something like that? 
but it would be the same kind of thing as that. So um, just taking a step back, Chuck, um, you know, for some for your audience here, I think the um, there's actually you can almost put together a decision tree here that you reach the point in your app. You need something more than jQuery. The next thing is, is are you going to go with Jason's method of Angular or are you going to go with React? Then, um, you know, so are you going to go with Jason's method or are you going to go with React? And so there's, you know, there's issues, there's questions there, or maybe, maybe it's even um, Ember, but then maybe then you're going to decide, okay, we're going to go with React and how we're going to put it inside of Rails. And then you're going to pick, okay, am I going to use React Rails? Or am I going to use React on Rails? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's, that's the different flows of where you're going to be making, you know, going through this decision process. And once you get to the point where, okay, I really like React, I like the community, I'm going to get on board ESX, I'm going to do all that stuff. And if, once, if you do get settled on React on Rails, We've got a Git book of documentation. We've got articles. We've got videos, and we've got a community. We've got a Slack room too, where we chat about it. If anybody wants an invite, they can send me an email at justin@shockico.com. And one really pretty serious consideration when you're making a choice is if you go with React, you hurt my feelings, and if you go with Angular, you hurt <laughs> Justin's feelings. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my feelings are going to get hurt too much, but I might, um, I might pity you. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, there's a few other reasons actually. You know, why why React? You know, we we, we touched on these. The um, the very first one, which none of us actually even mentioned the words, is the virtual DOM. And the whole point of the virtual DOM is that this whole phase of rendering the code with some data is handled by React. So you can make 10 different data updates to your um, store of data, but your old, React is only going to draw the stuff once. It's highly optimized to only change the parts of the DOM that need to be changed. The, um, you know, we touched on server rendering as a key benefit. The JSX files I really like. I like having the job. I like having this HTML notation right inside of the JavaScript files. It's worked really well for us. There's something that's come out the last year, that's probably a little more than a year, that's gotten really popular, and that is React Native. So when you're investing time into learning React, you can very quickly get up to speed on React Native, and you have essentially superhuman powers now to build iOS and Android apps. Um, Shaka Code, the, my company is just about finishing up with a um, big-time consumer production rewrite of a, um, they have a website, mobile website. We've converted into a React Native app. We did it in about two and a half months. So that'll be available. I'll be sharing that on the shockycode.com website once it comes out. And it's my first experience, heavy-duty experience using React Native besides just playing with it a little bit. And I got to say that I'm about as stunned using React Native as I was using React in terms of how good the system works and how much I'm able to leverage my experience in building web apps to building mobile apps. Yeah, I also want to just shout out that there's a devchat.tv podcast called React Native Radio that you should definitely be checking out if you're looking at that angle of things. And my understanding is is that, yeah, there's a lot that you can leverage from your knowledge of React that gets you a long, long ways toward writing mobile apps without needing to know a whole lot more in React Native. Hey, do you need a sanity check on your code? Make sure all the tests are passing. Make sure all the static assets compile. You know, 
all the normal things that you need to do to make sure that your application is ready for production, then you need continuous integration. And I recommend SnapCI. SnapCI is a product put together by our friends at ThoughtWorks. And it works great to pull all of your information together about your application, make sure it's ready for production, let your team know if it fails, and overall, just make your life easier. So go check them out at SnapCI.com. I do want to raise a question that, that Justin kind of touched on a second ago, which is like, when you're choosing a front-end framework, how do you think about that? And I guess I would ask like Justin and Rob both, how did you approach that? What made you choose React as opposed to anything else? Sometimes people ask me, they're like, should I use React or Angular? And I'm like, I don't know. I just picked Angular, kind of flipped a coin almost, and kind of like what you said, Justin, in one of your videos where, you know, I'm not going to go into what's better than anything else. I'm assuming you've already made the choice to go with React. And same with me. I'm teaching Angular to people who have already made the choice. But it is a question I get a lot that I don't know how to answer, so I'm curious how you guys think about that. Um, I want to, um, if you visit my, the last article I put on medium.com with shock, um, with react on rails hitting 2000 stars, I list the two videos there from Pete Hunt, two of Pete Hunt's conference talks that absolutely sealed the deal for me. There's no way that I could do better than what, how Pete explained it. And one of the videos, Pete does talk, um, a bit about just, you know, what are the foundations of, of react and the other video he talks about comparing React to Angular and Ember. So just watch, you know, that's all I can say. Watch those two videos. Check out, you know, check out my article. It's got a link to those two videos. They're entertaining. They're quick. And regardless of whether or not you want to go and switch over to those, it's well worth your time. Nice. Um, Random uh, random question for uh, Justin. Because you got Shaco works in regards to, like, you guys work, professionally and React and Rails. I want to know how what do you guys have seen the adoption on the um on the web when it comes to using React and Rails for uh production level projects. I've been able to like accidentally um go from actually looking for Angular and Rails sites to stumbling upon um Angular and Rails sites by accident, but I haven't really seen that uh the Rails apps that feel like we have that React front end. So I just wanted to know, have you guys seen like a uh, uh, surgeons or uptick in uh, Rails apps that have React as the front end? How about um, Product Hunt and Airbnb have the same stack that we have essentially? All right, that's cool. <laughs> um, give you, um, I'm sure, I'm quite sure that Shopify has abandoned their old. Um, I think it was Batman, and they're moving in terms. They're moving into React. WordPress has switched over to React. So those are a few names you probably heard of. But are you seeing? I, I wasn't really speaking in popularity. I was more speaking of like growth on the web. Like, are you seeing more companies adopt React um, and Rails and join? You know, I really, I really don't have any. I really don't have any data on that. I, I don't even know how I would figure that out. I just know anecdotal stories. I know our community is growing. And the uh, amazing thing about open source, I mean, open source really is probably one of the most game-changing things that ever actually literally happened in my life, I think. And I think probably for the software world, because now we get um, 
I just like today, I had somebody um, send in a pull request to make the React Rails, React Webpack Rails tutorial, you know, have a Docker example, things like that. It's like, you know, we, we, we do stuff like that. We're using Docker for other stuff. But just, it's just an example of how the community getting around a project really turns that project into something special. That it's going to be better than any commercial software you'll ever buy. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. I just wanted to just, uh, I just wanted to see if there was any information or data. I was researching, trying to find because um, you know they have people tend to like post that type of stuff. So I was just trying to see the other how fast like um, production levels reacting rails growing. So, but thank you. Yeah, we we do list a number of projects that are on there that are using it. So we do have a projects page. We also have um, another page in the repo where I just kind of put little screenshots of people telling me that they love the approach. So I'm pretty stoked on that. I think it's probably the number one payoff you get of an open source creator is just having people tell you they love what you're doing. Yep. It's probably you know better than anything else in the world almost. All right. Well, I'm under a little bit of a time crunch, so I'm going to push this over to Pix. But before we do that, um, if people want to hire Shaka Code to build them something or I also noticed on your videos you mentioned you have a coaching option for people getting React and Rails going. Um, where should people go to check that stuff out? Yeah, go visit us at shockacode.com. We've got links there to everything that we're doing. Um, go, you know, just go reactrails.com. You'll see your example of React on Rails running live. From there, you can click off and go see the, the Git repositories. One of the things we started doing this last year was we have, in the past, we've always, always done really big um, development projects. And we had some people that said, hey, can you do that? just help out my startup? You know, we just really want to get going with your system. And so we figured out a startup um, coaching plan for $1,500. And it really lasts a very, very long time. And we're there for you providing technical support with not just how to use React on Rails, but how to use the entire ecosystem of React, Redux, React Router, Webpack. And just, you know, what I find in doing development it's not how fast you are. It's just about not getting stuck. If you can just not get stuck and have someone there to kind of help you go in the right direction always, it's amazing how much more productive you can be. Rob, um, maybe you can. Rob's been absolutely instrumental in doing our helping out with our coaching program. What can you say about how, what, how, how people benefited from it? Yeah, well, we go beyond just the React and Rails stuff because um, the React and Rails API is actually – uh, the surface area is pretty small on purpose. So a lot of times we'll get into stuff like best practices and how to organize your application. How does Redux really work under the hood? What is React really doing? How do you solve these types of problems? Um, so we kind of, and then um, I'm full stack. So if they want to know, well, how do I have Rails do this to talk to it? Or how do I write my Capybara test to, to help with that? I mean, everything's game. I, um, I've helped people with all that type of stuff. And I, I code it every day for our, our production app, so. Yeah, these guys, the stuff they're doing in the production app is just, it's next level, but it's, you know, it's not like stuff that we can just kind of necessarily just share with the world because it's just complicated. It's not like it's secret. It's just complicated. So, and it's always changing because that's just the way the, the world's going. There's just some articles from Adi Osmani, I believe, on just how to do these new types of apps that use the server rendering, that use dynamic routes, that do all this stuff. And we're working on putting that in our production system as well. 
So the um, one thing I do mention on the um, the open source pages is that we do support the funding of React on Rails through helping out people with coaching. So by hiring us to do coaching, you are supporting this open source effort. And same thing goes if you choose to have us write a project for you as well to do a project. And I think that we put the same love into all of the production code we write that we put into the open source that you're going to get code that looks great, that works, that your team's going to be able to, someone's going to be able to pick up and they're not going to know who wrote this stuff. They're just going, oh, this looks good and just kind of get to work. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Jason, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure thing. I got two picks, both of which are books. Um, one is one of my favorite books of all time, The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Uh, and then the other one is, I don't even know how I found this book, but it's a book about primitive navigation techniques. And it's called <laughs> The Lost Art of Finding Our Way. Um, I found out from this book that I thought I knew why Earth has seasons and I didn't know. And this book told me. Uh, so, so check that out. You might have the same experience as me. Because I talked with other people. I'm like, do you know why we have seasons? And they're like, yeah. Uh, but what they taught you in school might not be right. So that was pretty interesting. And the book is, it's one of those books you read and you're just like, how can one person know all this stuff? And then I found out that the guy who wrote it is a professor of physics. And so it's like, what, what is your deal guy? Uh, so that book <laughs> just totally blew my mind. Those are my picks. All right. Uh, Jeremy or Jerome, sorry. I don't know what I'm reading off the screen now. Jerome, what are your picks? Roger, I have uh, two picks. Uh, they're also books. Uh, my first book uh, is Hacking the Art of Exploitation. You guys know Friday we had a huge DDoS attack on an entire East Coast. Uh, if you use Twitter at all, you notice that it was just, for as a millennial that, had, that was born in the era of Internet, it just hurt me like all day. My favorite sites were down. So I decided to pick up hacking the art of exploitation to, to uh, just see how things like this was done and to uh, learn how to protect myself and others or when it comes to professional grade projects. I definitely recommend uh, that this book to anybody that wants to actually get to a level of where they can start building some programming, uh, defensive programming measures. Uh, second book is a billion dollar uh, app. I think Billion Dollar App is a really good book in general, just whether you're doing uh, web apps or uh, mobile applications, and it helps you get in that thought process of what does it really take to make a successful uh, product. So those are my definite two book uh, two uh, picks for this uh, for the show. Awesome. Have you read Ghost in the Wires by Kevin Mitnick? That's another great hacking book. I guess I'll throw that one out as a pick. Um, yeah, and then uh, the other pick I have, you know, uh, I, I get crap sometimes when I pick these things. It's like, oh, it's a cop-out pick. But uh, my kids have been out of school for the last uh, few days. And just spending time with them and, you know, hanging out and watching movies. Anyway, uh, so kids' school breaks. Uh, just a lot of fun. So I'm going to pick those. And then uh, the other one that I'm going to pick is uh, if you're deep in the bowels of working with Boy Scouts, um, there was what they call a commissioner's college. And basically, so I'm a, I'm a commissioner. I help with the round table, which is the training for uh, scout leaders. 
And uh, in particular, I work with Cub Scout leaders. And um, anyway, so that's training for them. And it's, it's just really great to get some awesome training on how to lead, how to train, how to teach, how to, how to help people do better at what they do. And so um, if you are an adult looking to get some leadership training, then I highly recommend that you go and see what the Boy Scouts have to offer. Um, you know, go be a Boy Scout leader and then go get the training for absolutely cheap. And uh, it is amazing training. So, you know, I mentioned Wood Badge a few months ago, which is kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of the top of the mountain training for leaders. And it was incredible. But then just to, you know, go for a Saturday for a few hours and, again, get some refreshers on some of the uh, topics that I already knew and then get some other uh, training on some areas that I didn't actually, ha you know, I hadn't really thought much about. It, it was terrific. So um, anyway, I'm going to pick the Boy Scouts of America, and in particular, I'm going to pick their uh, adult training programs. Uh, Justin, what are your picks? Okay, well, I'll give you one, just a um, little bit of um, self-promotion. Do check out friendsandguests.com. That is a site built on React on Rails, so you can check that out. Hopefully, um, we're just coming out of beta in that, so it is pretty young. There's a book I've just read that's pretty awesome, Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. That just came out June 14th this year on Amazon. Um, the guy, um, Casey Fenton of Couchsurfing, recommended that to me. He, Casey's actually um, involved in my startup operations in the sense that he created a product uh, company called Massly, and that gives a way, it's an alternative to doing traditional VC funding. That would definitely be um, one of my top picks, mast.ly. So if you're a startup founder and you want to do something where you don't have to do the you know conventional VC route and give your team members a slice of the equity, we, we do that for friends and guests. The, um, finally, uh, last pick I'd say is just... Um, you know, this kind of goes without saying is, um, you know, nothing like a healthy lifestyle, especially working for a remote first company in the state of Hawaii. And if you can do that, get a standing desk, um, recommend some things like bulletproof coffee as well and get off too many carbs, get some exercise, get a good night's sleep and just, you know, you know I don't know, follow me on Twitter and stuff. I tweet about some of that stuff and that's it. You're into biohacking? Biohacking, yeah, a little bit. Dave Asprey, Tim Ferriss are some of my favorite podcasts, and Mark Siston's book, The Paleo Blueprint. That's right. a good book. All right. Mark Siston? Yeah. yeah. All uh, right. Rob, what are your picks? Um, so the first one is, uh, since we're doing, since we're talking about JavaScript-related stuff, the first one is uh, Dr. Boolean's Mostly Adequate Guide to Functional Programming. Um, <laughs> this guy <laughs> refers to himself as Dr. Bullion. I think he's pretty cool. He actually has a front end master's course, but this thing is a free book. It's on GitHub. You can, um, he's got PDF versions, uh, all the, all the different ebook formats. And it kind of goes through, uh, using JavaScript examples, uh, kind of like a primer on what functional programming is and how to do it. Um, and it's kind of, it's about this whole idea of not having kind of uh, state in your application. You kind of get rid of all those types of bugs where it's like, well, I thought this variable would have this state at this point and it didn't. And those types of things and it talks, you know, it starts you off slow and talks about stuff like currying and, and then gets into some advanced stuff that maybe is more uh, theoretical than practical. But uh, 
I definitely at least the first seven chapters are like a must uh, for JavaScript programming because it's just made my um, code so much better. I feel like so that's pick one. Uh, pick two is as a um, it's it's a um, it's like a it, it's kind of like a tutorial. I would describe it as they're exercises really by a guy named Jafar Hussein, who's a uh, developer over at Netflix. And specifically, they're meant to teach you how to use something called RxJS, which is this kind of it's functional reactive programming. But that's not really why I'm recommending it. I'm recommending it because it's such a good way for explaining and understanding how to use map and reduce and filter. And I thought, map, everybody knows how to use map, you know, or reduce. But it blows your mind, like how powerful just a couple of these functions are. Um, and, and stuff like flat map and stuff like that and the ways you can put them together. And it's just, it's so improved my understanding of how to, um, um, use those types of functions and, um, and do those kinds of things in my apps. And it, it translates to Ruby. It translates to any language that's got a map or a reduce function. Um, so those have really helped my code a lot. Um, um, just yesterday I had to do a Cartesian, I had to help a guy do a Cartesian product of two arrays. And was, you're able to do it with one expression just by nesting flat maps. It's really cool. So anyway, then the third thing is, um, is, is, is a, is a YouTube video that's, uh, of this, one of my, this band that I'm just obsessed with called Tesseract. They have an album called Altered State. And this is a portion of that album called Of Matter. And these guys got play in like three different time signatures at the same time. And so they're, they're listening to click tracks and they're at different tempos, like four, four and seven, eight. And uh, I think they even at one point do, um, 12, four. So it's, and it's just, it's just a great performance. So I, I'm just really into it. I like to listen to it while I code. So very cool. Well, thank you both for coming and talking to us about this. This was really interesting. I'm also going to put out there that, uh, Justin did, uh, rails remote comp talk on react on rails that he's got some awesome videos up on youtube that we watched in preparation for this and there's a ton of information out there that he already shared before we did pick so go check them out thanks a lot chuck thanks thanks a lot jerome and, and oh. jason awesome let's be in touch yeah definitely i'll be joining the slack channel this week so i'm looking forward to it oh, awesome good talking with you guys 